You're very welcome to Blurini Belladish, the podcast coming to you from the heart of the archive here at Ireland's National Folklore Collection at University College Dublin. My name is Johnny Dillon and I hope you'll stay with me for the next hour or ten as we journey off the beaten track and travel to overgrown fields and lonely hillsides scattered across Ireland, visiting sacred sites and spaces of devotion at which the living waters of tradition still run. Today we consider Ireland's holy wells and the customs, beliefs and narratives pertaining to them. And this episode will feature drowned goddesses, uh, pious saints, uh, and even a bit of fieldwork I was very lucky to be able to conduct myself for this edition down in County Wicklow. So, to begin, what is a holy well, or what makes a well holy? The Archaeological Survey of Ireland defines holy wells thus. A well or spring, though in some unusual cases a natural rock basin, which usually bears a saint's name and is often reputed to possess miraculous healing properties. These may have their origins in prehistory, but are associated with devotions from the medieval period, the 5th to the 16th centuries AD onwards. Holy wells are generally springs or small bodies of water which are revered for their curative properties and are often associated with a local saint or guardian spirit who may be represented in a legend regarding the well. Holy wells were often focal points of communal pilgrimage, prayer and ritual, being visited at different times throughout the year for three reasons. To ask a favour, to give thanks for a favour, or as a penitential exercise. Wells, we may suppose, are made holy through communal belief in their holiness. The Christian or pre-Christian origins of such wells have long been a source of speculation and discourse for scholars of all sorts. In the introduction to Charles Plummer's 1910 tome Vita Sanctorum Hiberniae, or Lives of Irish Saints, it is suggested that there are approximately 3,000 holy wells in Ireland. These he describes as representing a pagan cult of fountains, which was one of the departments in which the Christianization of localities and customs originally heathen can most clearly be traced. Plummer, who ruminates on solar myths and water nymphs, is contrasted somewhat by the Irish Folklore Commission's Quiggy O'Donoghue, who, writing in the Journal of the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland in 1955, took a narrower approach to the topic of holy wells, making, as he said, no attempt to discuss the origin and development of the cult of springs and fountains, or to speculate on the question of survival of elements of pre-Christian religion in the beliefs and customs associated with Irish well, holy wells, confining himself instead to factual report of the wells and their usage. However, let's not allow facts and other paltry details restrict us in our consideration of the topic at hand, as we now take flight and plunge headlong into the world of baseless conjecture and empty speculation. In considering the topic of holy wells, it's worth starting with a cursory glance across the manuscripts penned by early Christian monks, and in which is contained the backdrop of Irish, and indeed which frames the broader Western European, literary history. Early sources often point us in a decidedly otherworldly direction as far as springs and wells are concerned, and they are in several instances identified with goddesses and otherworldly women who, in visiting secret springs and wells of knowledge, broke a taboo which caused a river or lake to burst forth from the well and drown them. Take, for example, Boin, whose name means illuminated cow, and who is the eponymous goddess of the river Boyne, which flows through the eastern portion of Ireland. Dahio Hogan has equated her with the European cow goddess Damona, who was worshipped by the continental Celts, and he suggests a common Indo-European source for this figure by referencing Sanskrit literature in which are represented sacred rivers of milk which flow from a mystical cow. 
Now, Bowen was the wife of Nachten, and she was said in tradition to have wished to visit a secret well of knowledge from which all Bar Nachten and his cupbearers, I wish I had cupbearers, were forbidden. Tradition describes how Bowen visited the well in defiance of this prohibition. She circled it three times and looked into it, whereupon the waters gushed forth with such force that she was blinded. As she ran away, the waters followed behind her, entering into the sea at Drahada, where she fell in and was drowned. This, we are told, is how the river Boyne came to be, and why it follows the course that it does. Indeed, echoes of cults concerning illuminated cows and their supernatural milk may perhaps be found through an examination of the names of certain holy wells in Ireland. Tubber Launa in County Wicklow comes from the Irish Tubber Launachta, meaning the well of the new milk, and Tubber Bunny in County Dublin comes from Tubber Banya, or simply the well of the milk. Do these names perhaps resonate with the memory of an ancient Indo-European cow goddess? I think it's safe to say that I have no idea, but I refer you to my previous remarks concerning baseless speculation, etc. Now, a similar story to that of Bowen's fate is told of a hidden spring of inspiration and knowledge which was known as Kunda's Well. This well was circled by nine magical hazel trees which dropped their fruits into the water below. A salmon which lived in the well would eat the hazelnuts that dropped in, thereby gaining all the world's knowledge, as you do. The first person who would eat this fish would similarly gain all the world's knowledge. Many Irish listeners will recognise this story as being attributed to our great hero, Phil McCool, who, we are told, while cooking and turning the salmon of knowledge for his master to eat, burnt his thumb on it. Quickly placing his thumb in his mouth to cool it and ease his pain, Fionn thereby gained all the world's knowledge. Anyway, Kunla's well, apart from being associated with the Salmon of Knowledge, is also connected with the goddess Sinan. She, being desirous of wisdom and inspiration, visited the well, thereby breaking a taboo which forbade her to do so and which caused the water to rise up, overwhelm and drown her. The river that arose and in which she was drowned was named in her honour. It flows today across the western portion of Ireland, being known in contemporary times as the Shannon. The following account, contained on page 281 of Manuscript 441 from our school's collection, was collected by Una O'Sullivan from Mrs M. Buckley of Barrack Street, Tarbert, County Kerry, around 1938. She relates how The Shannon was at first a deep well over which grew a tree with red berries. The salmon who lived in this well fed on those berries which fell, when ripe, into the well and were known as the Salmon of Knowledge. Any person who was able to catch and taste one of these salmon was said to know all. One day, a girl by the name of Shunan came to the well with the intention of catching a fish. Having a fire ready to roast it when caught, she went to the brink of the well on her attempt to catch one, but the flood arose and she was swept into the well and was drowned. From that day, the well became larger and larger until it was a river known as the Shannon or Shunan. This motif of the girl drowned by a river formed by a well was popular not only in County Kerry, but was also told as far afield as the Himalayas and also in India. In volume 6 of the journal Folklore in 1895, a miscellany of tales collected from a 70-year-old Hindu woman are related, one of which explains how the river Nerbuddha, nowadays known as the River Narmada, which is one of India's seven holy rivers in which the Ganges itself, taking the form of a black cow, bathes yearly. This river, we are told, was formed when a pious maiden named Nerbuddha, who was leading her father's cows to pasture, moved a stone on the side of a hill at the request of a thirsty old holy man, who advised her that water would trickle from the hill if she did so. Anxious to relieve his thirst, she ran to the spot and removed the stone, but alas, the water burst out in a great flood and formed a river in which the poor girl was drowned. 
in memory of her piety and sad fate, the river was forever named after her. The message here should be clear. Women, seek ye not supernatural knowledge from hidden and mysterious wells from which you may or may not be prohibited to venture, for only select and champion cupbearers, damn them, may attend these places. Your presence at these hidden springs of inspiration will surely result in the unleashing of a deadly river which will blind, drown, or otherwise destroy you, sweeping you out to sea forever before coming to bear your name for all eternity. Now, moving on, as a brief aside, it is worth noting another legend told in the early literature which references the springing up of a well, which eventually turns into a lake, uh, when an otherworld horse lies down on a patch of land in which it is forbidden to do so. Owen McNeil, writing for the Folklore of Ireland Society on the mythology of Loch Ney, the biggest lake in Ireland, describes how Uhu, whose name means horse warrior, or one who fights by means of horses, allowed his great horse, which could carry upon it the belongings of all of his people, to stop before unloading its burden on land belonging to Angus, son of the Daige or Dagda, father god of the Tuatha de Danann. Where the horse was halted, we are told, there a well sprang up. Uhu had a wall built around the well and a cover over it and set a woman to watch it. The woman forgot to cover the well, which resulted in its bursting forth in a flood in which all were drowned. In other versions of this narrative, Uhu was understood to live beneath the lake to this day. There is an interesting parallel with this narrative to be found in Greek myth of the Pegasides. I don't pronounce these Greek words correctly. The Pegasides were water nymphs connected with wells and springs in Greek mythology and were connected with the mythical horse Pegasus, who created them by striking the ground with his hooves. Pegasus, it is worth noting, is the offspring of Poseidon, the god of the sea. So, what does this tell us? I'm not quite sure, save that veneration of springs and wells in connection with women, cattle and horses would seem to be a feature of European and perhaps Indo-European cultural inheritance since the earliest times. Now, returning to Ireland, rivers in this country are generally named after otherworldly women, while holy wells tend to bear the name of the saint who is their specific patron. The Irish language word most commonly used to denote a well is tubber, and on loganim.ie, that's L-O-G-A-I-N-M dot I-E, the fantastic website consisting of a database of Irish place names, there are over 700 references to this word. Patrick Weston Joyce, in his 1901 book Irish Names of Places, highlights some of these instances, describing how Tubber Curry, or Tubber on in Sligo, is named the Well of the Cauldron due to its shape, while Tubber Billy, or Tubber Bille in Antrim, means the Well of the Ancient Tree. For more, by the way, on sacred trees and our tradition, see episode 19 of this podcast. Joyce goes on to explain how another form of the word for a well is Tibrid, which gives Tibridoran or Tiberi its name, which means the well of Ore. Similarly, Clan Tibrid or Cluan Tibrid in Monaghan means the spring of the meadow. Geraldine Lynch, writing in her fantastically comprehensive essay on the holy wells of County Wicklow, has noted how the names of our holy wells are of great importance, living on as they do after the significance of the well has been forgotten. Memory of sacred trees or monasteries associated with holy wells may still be remembered in local tradition, she explains, even long after the buildings to which they were attached have long disappeared. This is shown in the following account collected by my friend and colleague Barbany Lynn in 1979. In this piece, Barbara is interviewing Jim McDermott of Ballymurray, County Roscommon. Jim here describes cures sought from holy wells in the local area and offerings which are left at the well, noting how the well, which is still in use, lies next to the walls of a now ruined monastery. Jim, how about wells? Are there any holy wells around here, wells that are meant to have cures? Well, the only one that I know of around here now is uh, the one behind in Tobriog. 
That was a blessed well. Father Mullanda blessed that. Is that down beside the railway? Yes, below. And there's another blessed well behind in the Port Run, mm -hmm. where the monastery was, mm. on the brow of the hill. What, what do they have cures for? They have a cure for sore eyes there in that well in, in, in uh, Port Run. Do people still use it? And they, they do with it. What do you do? Well, you just go over and, and bless yourself and say a prayer and you have to leave something after you. And if it is a copper or, or a rag or a handkerchief or tie or something, you have to leave something after you in it. Or. There was a monastery there, did you say? There was a course. Was that long ago? Oh God, I'm not able to tell you how long ago that. Is that's there any, no that, trace of it left now anyway? Uh, only the walls. That's mm -hmm. all I know that's left. Associations would seem to have surrounded springs and wells since the earliest times, and their veneration as sacred sites continues to this day, though not without some degree of change and interruption. The writer and folklore collector Ainrio Mirisa, in his 1936 article for the journal Beledus, the Journal of the Folklore of Ireland Society, wrote that well worship was a pagan custom common to the whole of Europe and to far beyond it, but with a wise tolerance begotten of a knowledge of human nature which our moderns, with all their vaunted advancement, seem to lack, our early missionaries did not try to prohibit and anathemize this deep-rooted custom, but Christianized it in purpose and practice. They used these springs as fonts at which their new converts were baptized. While the attitude of early Christians to these sites may have been one of open-mindedness and benevolence, along with propagandising and proselytism, later attitudes to them under the penal laws, those laws enacted in the 17th century with the aim of forcing Catholics and Protestant dissenters to accept the Church of Ireland, hardened, seeing them as sites of popish superstition which needed to be stamped out. Following the repeal of the penal laws, these same sites were later viewed by the Catholic clergy as sites of secular revelry, with festivities and gatherings at Wells turning into, as the Reverend Edward Chichester remarked in 1814, discreditable orgies, which the church were very much against, being only interested, we are to assume, in the organisation of altogether more creditable orgies. Writing in the introduction to his 1879 text, Loca Patriciana, the Reverend John Francis Shearman wrote that, in the second year of Queen Anne, 1703, pilgrimages to Holy Wells, etc., were put down under severe penalties. These enactments, though they did not fully succeed in their object, nevertheless consigned to oblivion patrons, stations, etc., of lesser note, and early in the present, these celebrations came under ecclesiastical prohibition, having degenerated into scenes of riot and scandal. It is now much regretted that a list of the particular day and locality, etc., was not made while they were still fresh in memory. Such a document would be of the utmost importance in elucidating our old litanies and martyrologies. The Reverend Shearman would no doubt have been interested in one very such listing which came after his time, when Seamus Odilarge, the visionary who established the Folklore of Ireland Society in 1926, who set up the Irish Folklore Institute in 1930, and who secured the establishment of the Irish Folklore Commission in 1935, compiled with the aid of Dr Adolf Marr, the Austrian archaeologist who was then director of Ireland's National Museum, a questionnaire on the topic of holy wells to be distributed by the Department of Education to teachers all over Ireland. The idea behind the scheme was to encourage teachers to serve as a network of correspondents, folklore collectors essentially, who would seek out local information on holy wells in their districts by answering a listing organised by Delargi and Marr. The questionnaire was contained in a circular distributed by the department in September 1934. It reads, Unreen Circular to Teachers of National Schools, Questionnaire Regarding Holy Wells. 
In connection with the booklet recently issued regarding the general question of the collection of Irish folklore and antiquities, it is considered desirable, as an initial step in this direction, that a survey of holy wells be made. It is felt that teachers of national schools could assist considerably in making such a survey a success, and accordingly, teachers who are in a position to furnish information regarding holy wells in their respective districts are earnestly invited to do so. Many wells, once the scene of devotional pilgrimage, are now forgotten, save by some old local people, and it is hoped that before this last remaining source of information disappears, such knowledge as they possess will be duly recorded. In order that the information may be available in a regular ordered form, the particulars should be furnished on the basis and in the order of the questions set out over leaf. And it will be only necessary in the case of each return sent to quote the number of the question followed by the appropriate particulars. The questions themselves need not be repeated. There should be a separate return for each well regarding which information is given. The returns, when completed, should be forwarded post-free to the Secretary, Office of the National Education, Marlborough Street, Dublin, in envelopes marked Holy Wells. On the reverse of the circular are listed 23 questions focusing on the name of the well, its location, the presence of trees in its vicinity, former names for the well, the dates of annual patterns to the well, purposes for which the well was visited, devotions and prayers recited at the well, the use of the water from the well, the leaving of offerings at the well, details of pilgrimage to the well, its position on a map, and sketches or photographs of the well. By the 20th of August 1934, some 400 detailed responses were returned to the Department of Education. These entries, the diligent work of teachers and their pupils from all over Ireland, have been bound, paginated and catalogued in manuscripts 466, 467 and 468 of our main manuscript collection, and offer a wealth of knowledge on holy wells and townlands and parishes the country over. Holy wells were often dedicated to a particular saint in the locality, and devotions and prayers were offered to saints at these wells. Each saint traditionally had their own feast day throughout the year, and these feast day celebrations were known as patterns, a term in this instance stemming from the word patron. They involved a procession to the local holy well for devotional purposes, along with, in some instances, the carrying out of rounds of prayers at stations around the well. One might be forgiven the assumption that such pattern days were largely humdrum and mundane affairs. They were quite the opposite. I refer you to my previous quote from our friend the Reverend Chichester concerning uh, discreditable orgies. Apart from the offering of devotions and prayers at Holy Wells, pattern days were also large-scale social events at which there was music, mirth, music, revelry, feasting and drunkenness. One such pattern was held to celebrate the feast day of St. Kevin in Glendalough on the 3rd of June each year, and Sir William Wilde, the father of the noted playwright and wit Oscar Wilde, attested that dancing and drinking and other amusements, even when the bareheaded, venerable pilgrims and bare-kneed devotees were going their prescribed rounds, continued. Towards evening the fun became fast and furious. The pilgrimages ceased, the dancing was arrested, the pipers and fiddlers escaped to places of security. I can see them climbing to trees and peering out from behind large rocks. The keepers of tents and booths looked to their gear. The crowd thickened and the brandishing of sticks showed that the faction fight was about to commence among the tombstones and monuments, and that all religious observances and even refreshments were at an end. Police and magistrates were often required. The following account, recorded by Leo Corduff from Jack Maughan of Kilcommon, Mayo in 1966, describes the pattern as it was held in his time, noting that while contests of athletics and strength were a feature, drinking and faction fighting were the order of the day. There was a pattern here too at one time. 
Oh, yes. Tell us about that. It'd be interesting, that. Uh, there was a pattern here, and there's up a piece of the road here, say, about a quarter of a mile up the road, there's a place known as Ortnagobon. It's a flat of land. And there was... Um, they used to perform games in it, too. Like, now, um, throwing a hammer and jump, long jump and high jump and little games similar to that. I don't suppose there was any prizes out to it. But um, there was a lot of tents in it, you know, tents selling beer and spirits and all that. A lot of fighting used to go on, too. Uh, like rifle parties had come and maybe they'd have something in one another and they'd just raise that racket there on the pattern and fight it out with sticks and all that. That was a very common thing in them times. Uh, the clergy went against that a lot uh, for that fighting business and um, it eventually it died away. One of our school's collection manuscripts, John O'Dwyer, who was aged 72 in 1938, describes a pattern day held in honour of St. Bridget in the Hinch, County Clare, saying that, besides St. Bridget's Day, which is always on the February the 1st, there is another big feast day connected with St. Bridget in the same place. It is Saturday night before the last Sunday in July. People from all parts of the country travel to the well late in the evening and stay there all night until morning, praying, dancing and singing, and, I may add, drinking heavily at two public houses which are quite near the well. This custom has been carried on here for years and years, and the numbers of pilgrims are increasing year by year. We will return to this reference to the last Sunday in July, otherwise known as Garland Sunday, one of the ancient quarter days in Irish tradition, a pre-Christian festival which ushers in the harvest period. Now, in the following recording, Mrs. Ellen Devine describes a pattern to St. Bridget which was a source of dancing and fun, but which was put down due to an excess of drinking by the men in attendance. Are there any holy wells around? Well, there was a holy well in a place called Callaghan, on the way out from Waterford, and that was St. Bridget's well. Oh, I see. And I noticed the last couple of times I was there that there's a pump in it now that did away with the well. I see. And I thought that was a terrible sin to do away with that well because they used to have patterns. Did you ever hear of patterns? I didn't, just vaguely. Could you tell me about... Well, that pattern was beside a public house and was at this well. Well, the people had come from all sides, men mostly, yeah. and children and that, and they'd come. But I don't, that's not saying they'd say prayers or anything, mm, yeah. but they'd have any amount of fun and everything, and they might have a bit of a dance later on. But they, they had to stop it because the men were going into the public house. The public house would be open that time, do you see? And the men were drinking too much. Mm. So they, they did away with the well, and they put a pump in the place of it. And I was very disappointed when I saw that. I know, I know. Because... Sorry. Because uh, I'd make my sister pull up to see was the well there yet, yeah. you know, that yeah. way. Well, you never visited the Holy Well when you were young to say prayers there? Or? Well, we used to go, but we never knew what we went for. No. We never knew why we went there. Always to go and take the water up in our hands and cup it up like that and drink it. Yeah. But we didn't know it as a Holy Well. No. It was just a well. No, no. But still, with the pattern coming there, there was some idea. And it was St. Bridget's Well. I discovered afterwards. So the pattern coming there meant a patron. Do you see? Yeah. Patron it yeah. really was. And they called it a patron. I see. So the patron saint. Or St. Bridget, I suppose. That's what it meant. Another St. Bridget's well is described in this recording from John Kelly of Onacloy, County Sligo, recorded in 1969 by Michael J. Murphy. 
Here John describes the sport and fun attached to the pattern, which was held at the well on the 15th of August. Then you have, uh, you have holy wells here? In yes, they are. There are three holy wells in this parish. Uh, well, one of them at the present time, it's, uh, it's been closed over by the pumping station that supplies the water supply to Ballyfernan. And then that was known as St. Bridget's Well. And they used, on the 15th of August, I believe, long ago, there used to be what was known as the pattern, a sort of a facial like, and dancing and singing and all that in the field convenient to it, and yes. sports. Yes. That was... Now, in the course of my work for the National Folklore Collection, and in trying to present listeners to this podcast with an array of different materials from my native traditions, I find myself in the happy situation of being able to conduct fieldwork on the topics under discussion. This month, I was very lucky to have been joined by Rosaline Durkin, a native of County Mayo who lives in Wicklow. Rosaline, along with some of her friends of hers, set up the group Wicklow Wells, which aims to document, research and restore around 30 of the 120 or so holy wells dotted around the county. Setting off south along the coast from Dublin to Wicklow on a cold February morning, I met with Rosaline in the hope of visiting Eddie O'Neill of Ballymoney, just outside Ballinaclash in Rathdrum. For three generations, Eddie's family have tended Lady Well a beautiful well hidden on his land, and on calling to Eddie's farmhouse he very kindly took us in before sharing his knowledge of the well and the pattern which, similar to the previous recording we heard, was celebrated each year in the parish on the 15th of August. You know, there, there are several of them all over the country, you know, there are wells yes. every... For what reason now, you wouldn't be certain, like, it's... it's uh, some think that it was a baptismal font in the penal days, like. Now, that was an old tale. It could be right and it could not. You know, where the babies were baptised because the, they were being hunted out of the churches, like, and all this. Mm. Now, that's only one piece. Yeah. But it, it never changed in my time, or there, there's a good lot of young people going to it now, like. Is there? Good. Uh, uh, there's a good, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's dedicated to Our Lady here, well, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. At the 15th of August, it's the Feast of the Assumption. Yeah, you know? and it was always on that day at three o'clock. Yeah, now, that's going back gener- the generations. I remember, like, my grandfather was here. He, he, was, he died at 96. It was a place of worship on the 15th of August. Hmm. It was a sport in it at one time, a, a, a community sports. Football and... At, at, at the well? Yes. Set dancing and everything was done there. At the field there? Yes. Yeah. But uh, it was a pattern, you see. It yes. The pattern was Lady Well. Hmm. And uh, it was... Uh, it went down through the years and then, like, when another generation grew up, they weren't as interested in it, like. You know, at, in the air, when I'm talking about, there was no transport anywhere. I remember being carried to it as a youngster, say five or four, six years of age. But there was, you see, this at that time, as I said, there was a sport, like, they had a dancing board. Oh, no, I can't remember how you could see it. Yeah, and it was they'd there. Have, they'd have a local football team, just local, against. And um, there was, hawkers got into it. They brought drink into it. They sold drinking. Uh, and then it didn't work, no. No, well, no. I was just saying the, 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 oh, the, the drink. 
Yeah. They, these got in to know and they sold it, you see, and there was a row lives in it. Uh, a faction fight they called it. Mm. Okay, and then that was stopped then for Well, what? the priest stopped it from the church. Yeah. Well, he said locals didn't go, but he said the church was closing it. Yeah. Until it was sorted anyway. But um, did you want to go up to it now? It'd be marvellous if we could. Yeah, now, have you, like, you always have a car. At the car, yeah. I'm not, yeah. As, as it is now, you can drive to the very place because there's nothing in the fields. Okay. Oh, right. So I, I'll go up with you. Oh, wonderful. You'll join us up. Yeah. Are you sure? Huh? Yeah. You'll join us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, brilliant. That'll be right. lovely. I will go up for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. That's you have a certain amount of pride in it too. I wouldn't like anything ever happen. Mm. It's an extremely special place. Yes, yes. To have on your land. Yes. And to care for and for oh, so yes. long and your family yeah. For, yeah. for such a long time as well. I'm getting the years are ticking up with me. Yeah. Some time to come, you'd have a long way to go. You hope you'll remember when I'm gone. Part of the past generation. Well, it'll be part of a, a future generation as well now. Yes. Having spent time at the well and drunk of its waters, and walking back across the fields to Eddie's house, I used my phone to search our online platform, duchas.ie, that's D-U-C-H-A-S dot I-E, and happily I was able to identify the following manuscript reference which names Eddie's grandfather, Edward. Oh, here, here. <laughs> Can I show you something? Just found something from where I work. A manuscript yes. from 1937. Written by school children, 1937, about Lady Well. Is, is it on this? Is it? Yeah. It says, about a mile and a half going westward from Banaclash Ratrum, you come to the townland of Ballymoney. On the left hand side of the road in the field, the property of Mr. Edward Doyle Ballymoney is situated Lady Well. It is, it is a blessed, blessed well, well named after Our Lady. Cures have been recorded at the well. It was said that this well was blessed and mass celebrated at it. On the 15th of August each year, a great number of people go there to the well. All take a drink of the water and some take water home from the well in bottles. They recite the rosary and other prayers at the well. There is a little cement cave and a statue of the Blessed Virgin in it. Flowers are placed there regularly by the people. There is a row of trees round it and a row of stones for people to sit on. It is locally believed that if a person goes into that field, he must take a drink from the well, or it would not be a lucky day for him. On returning to the archive, I was able to engage in further examination of the Ordnance Survey name books and letters, which reveal a little more detail of the well on Eddie's land. For listeners who may not be aware, the Ordnance Survey was an office established in 1824, which set out to survey the entire island of Ireland at a scale of six inches to one mile for the purposes of land valuation and taxation. With the resulting survey completed in 1846, Ireland thus became the first country in the world to be entirely mapped at such a detailed scale. Ladywell is mentioned in the parish of Ballymoney as part of the survey, and indeed an alternate name is even provided for the well, Tubber Murray, or Tubber Wirre, an Irish language of the version of Our Lady's Well, or Lady's Well, as it's known today. It was an honour to have met and spoken with Eddie about the well on his land, and it was a pleasure likewise to be able to share with him our manuscript collections, all while standing beside a five-bar gate in a windy field, the wonders of digitisation no less. My special thanks are likewise due to Rosaline for her kindness in taking me to a variety of wells around Wicklow that day. The work she and her friends have done to reinvigorate these spaces is truly fantastic, and it's a testament to the positive impact a small cohort of dedicated individuals can have on a locality as they serve to connect people to place. For more information about Rosalind Durkin's project, you can visit her website irishsacredwells.com. Now, 
I want to return to the 15th of August and the Feast of the Assumption, the day on which we are told Our Lady went to heaven after her death. Moira MacNeil, the great scholar and author of the authoritative Festival of Lunasa, has suggested that the hosting of Pattern Days on the 15th of August was most likely a late ecclesiastical innovation, perhaps being introduced deliberately to offset the old pagan association of the hilltop gatherings and sporting which traditionally took place around the 1st of August on Lunasa or Lammas. MacNeil notes that the celebrated antiquarian George Petrie, while on an excursion through Wicklow as a 19-year-old in 1809, kept a diary which relates the following. Petrie says, On Church Mountain, the people still continue the ancient pagan festival of, so-called by the people, St. Lammas. Tis thus named from the cairn on the top of it, which the people think must be the ruins of a church. On the centre of the cairn still remains the pagan altar, and on this altar, until the rebellion, the priest annually read prayers on St. Lammas Day. On this day, several hundreds do penance by going from the bottom to the top on their knees. There is also, beside the cairn, a spring well, renowned for its medicinal virtues, and on one side of the mountain, a crumloch. So, later, in 1931, Liam Price, the judge, historian, and former president of the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland, spoke with a woman about Church Mountain, and this woman said there was a church on Church Mountain with a holy water trough and a well. There are three saints buried in it. She didn't know their names. All the stones were brought up in one night. It was a miracle. The people used to go up in crowds on the Sunday before the 1st of August, the 15th of August, and the Sunday after it, two Sundays, and the 15th. They went up to pray. So, it would seem that the holding of patterns and processions to Wales on the 15th of August, on the Feast of the Assumption, may represent a shift away from pre-Christian celebrations which were intended to mark the harvest, which were traditionally held around the 1st of August or the end of July, which is known in popular tradition nowadays as Garland Sunday. Uh, also commonly involves pilgrimage and, and uh, the visiting of wells and hilltops gatherings and so on. Now, Blessed Wells and their celebratory patterns weren't all carousing and drunkenness of bacchanalian proportion, as they provided sites where locals would go to pray in the hope of curing a variety of illnesses. These ranged from vomiting, toothaches and colds to deafness and even lameness. In the parish of Ballynur in West Wicklow, for example, rests the well of Tubersul. Tubersul stems from the Irish Tubber Nasul, meaning simply the eye well, or the well of the eyes. This holy well was known in tradition as a place where individuals could go in order to rid themselves of afflictions affecting their eyes. Tradition tells us that the farmer on whose land this well sat became so frustrated by the crowds of people demolishing his fences to visit it that he tried to close up the well. His attempts were unsuccessful though, and it was opened again each night. A short time later, however, this farmer found himself suffering with sore eyes which were only cured by bathing them in water from this well. As the saying has it, you never miss the water until the well runs dry, or until you contract an unbearable eye infection which will undoubtedly render you blind and the only cure for which is contained in the water of the well which you yourself sought to destroy. Now, offerings are frequently left at holy wells by those pilgrims who visit them. This account from Schools Collection Manuscript number 287 was collected near Mizzenhead in Como, County Cork, and describes these offerings and what used to take place at visits to the well. It is said that in former years people from far and near used to go to the well and pray. They used to leave beads, bottles, medals, money, etc. there. On every St. John's Eve, flocks of people used to go there where they used to spend the whole night in prayer and rounds. 
About a hundred yards above the well there is a round green spot and stones all around it, and on one of the flat stones there is a cross. The people used to go from stone to stone praying. It was customary to spend the night there, playing, dancing and singing. On leaving it was usual to leave some coin or other article there. It is also believed people were cured by praying there. This practice of leaving offerings at these spaces is one that persists to this day, and which will be seen at holy wells all over Ireland. The curative properties of these wells is often emphasised in tradition, and the following recording consists of an interview excerpt between Michael J. Murphy of the Irish Folklore Commission, Michael Francis Flynn of Ballangara County Leitrim, in 1970. Here, Michael relates to us the types of cures which were contained in the water of his local, local holy well, along with an explanation of how they were procured. What about holy wells in this area? There's one at Tubber... Tubber Boy, yeah. There's Tubber. another down at Tubber there, outside of Dowra. There's a St. Patrick's Well at the back here, out in Ardnishieland Parish. Mm. Well, were the stations at these wells? Yes, and still are. They still go towards for Toothpick, so on. They're down at, at uh, Tubber Well. Here if the eleven the two think I'll go to the well tomorrow. Supposed you, to be a cure, isn't it? Yeah. You'd go to one. You'd you'd go to it, oh, yeah. Yes. You'd say that if you had two things. Oh, Some of these would. Yes. Well, did you have to go fast and or anything? No, no. 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 Mm. And what would you have to do when you uh, bring some of the water with you and drink a little of it? Yes. That's all. Say a prayer like any prayer you like, I think. Mm. A similar account from Tom Conroy, Lacken, Rosnellis, County Leash, describes how a blind man was cured at his local well, and how this man's sister had previously been cured of cancer. Now about this holy well here? People had great devotion to this well, and it is believed that there has been many a cure. Yeah. Back down the years. And, uh, Did you ever hear now of any particular cure? Of anyone that was cured? I did. Yes, I did. Actually, I seen a man coming, being uh, led outside by two people. I of see. A, of a Sunday evening. Be crippled like they were like. No, he's blind. Oh, blind. Oh. Yes. Yes. And uh, the following Thursday, he rode his bike back to the well. And he told me that his sister was cured 40 years before that. And she was still alive in America. She was cured of cancer. Individuals visiting these wells often had to do so at particular times, and in some instances they had to watch for auspicious signs that their desired cure had indeed been granted. This is described in the following account of St. Dymphna's Well, near Keem Bay, Ackle, County Mayo, translated from Irish and found on page 161 of Schools Collection Manuscript 85. There is a well up in Dymphna's churchyard. It was St. Dymphna who got it, and there is a cure in its water. They have to be there before the sun would rise in the morning. If they were to be cured, they would receive some sign. A creature might appear to the surface of the water, or the water would move around or come up over the top of the well or something. You are supposed to take a stone with you when you are leaving the well. The people pay visits to it in the autumn. Some holy wells were said to be inhabited by little fish, and to see this fish was taken as a great portent, though not always for good. In the following account, recorded in 1982 by Seamus O'Cahan in Hollyoak, Massachusetts, from John Keane, who was formerly of Blacksod, Eris, County Mayo, 
John describes how his grandmother visited the holy well when her son, John's father, was sick. The sight of the fish in the well and its behaviour was taken by her as a sign of her son's impending death. Now, uh, when my dad was sick in 1918, uh, his mother went down to this well in Carn, and you uh, were supposed to make a, some sort of a pilgrimage around the well and you'd find out if the man you were making it for was going to live or die. Now, I heard this. And his mother went down and made this pilgrim, and uh, my father was very sick. He had double pneumonia. <coughs> and uh, my mother was waiting for her to come, and she asked, uh, she asked uh, his mother, what did she see? Now, I heard these words. and. Uh, she said, he's going to die. And he was only 42 years old, strong, powerful man. And uh, what they seen was uh, some sort of little fish had come up through the water. And if it stayed on top, floated on top, you were, re you were, you were supposed to recover. But if it went zunk down to the bottom, that person was going to die. Now his mother told that to my mother, and I heard her. Believe it or not. And sure enough, my dad died a couple of days later. Tom Kane went down. Now, that was the, the well of Carn. In the same sense that wells may foretell good or ill, they were also sometimes employed as a means to curse one's enemies. In this piece, Jack Maughan of Kilcommon Mayo describes how even the local saint wasn't above using the holy well to curse his enemies, going on to describe how a beggar woman he used to visit the well in order to perform stations and enact curses was turned to stone. And wasn't there some tradition about that too that was used for for praying and for cursing? Oh, you mean the cursing stone? Oh, the cursing stone was there. There at one time, Saint Comin was supposed to be in variance with other clergy, and he was supposed to, time and again, to have used the cushion stone on them. Uh, at one time, there did come a beggar woman to the place, and uh, in order to get your cushion and all this with the cushion stone, you had to pray and fast for so long, do so many stations at the well. But she did. She'd done so many stations at the well, and she hung about in this house and that house about the place, you know, like as beggar women used to do at the time. There was a lot of beggars at that time and there wasn't much he taking over. Yeah. But uh, she turned the stone. After that, somebody about the place broke the stone, got a hammer and broke it. And part of the stone is buried in the church, in, in the graveyard where the church is. Here in Kilcommon? Yes, in Kilcommon. And there's another pair to buried in the cathedral in Ballinay. That is true. Now, these wells didn't much like being messed with. Here, Miss Anne Carroll, who was 83 in 1980, describes how a well was defiled and desecrated when a butcher used to clean his dead animals in it. The well subsequently moved and strange scenes unfolded in the sky. But um, there was this blessed well. It was in a place called Mel. He was born and raised in Mel. It's outside of Gerard a bit. And uh, there was this blessed well there, and it must have been called St Mel's, because there is a saint, and I think that was the name of the well. And anyway, uh, there was a butcher uh, lived near hand, 
Of course, I, he wasn't a Catholic anyway, but what religion he was, I don't know. But anyway, he used to use the well anyway for washing. He had a slaughterhouse and he used to kill his own cattle. And my husband said he used to wash them and clean out the thing in the, blessed, in the well. So he had been told and warned about the well on several occasions, not to touch the well and all like this. But it kept going on for a long time anyway, but he took no notice. He still washed the well. So it was in the month of May and the people used to go still and pray there. There were very religious people in them days and uh, especially down there because Blessed Oliver's shrine is down there in Andrade. But anyway, um, there was this night anyway in the month of May and uh, they all went and I say the rosary around the well. And when they looked up, they just happened to look up in the sky and they seen the cloud and seeing a groups of people carrying something and they could see it was like a white sheet and they looked up and one kept saying to the others and that very strange up in the sky was like a moving cloud in the sky so the next they all went away home of course and the next day when the old butcher went the well was dried up and the well had shifted during the night at that very time it was moving and it moved to about two mile outside of Drada, and the well is still there now. Went, moved out during the night. But he used to tell that story, but that was a real true one. The well was dried up when the butcher went. The well was dried up, and it had moved. They saw the moving in the clouds when they looked up in the sky. But he used to tell that so perfect, like, you know. But I firmly do believe in anything like that myself, like, you know. But that, that should be recorded, like, you know, because it is a very true story. Another account, collected here by Michael J. Murphy in County Cavan in 1976 from Michael McManus of Black Lion, similarly describes how a well was closed and, being so defiled, rose again in the next field over. Now, did you ever hear people of closing wells deliberately to obstruct people from using them? Using. I did, and it rose in some other place beside it. I don't know what it is here. Someone, and it burst out in, in the next field or something. So it would appear that these wells weren't always sites of benevolence. Indeed, the water from them, though often thought to have curative powers, could likewise be entirely injurious and deadly. A story is told of St. Patrick, who, while travelling through County Wicklow one day, heard of a woman who sat by a particular well near Wicklow town, offering a magic cup to anyone in need of a drink of water. How pleasant a gesture, one might think. All who drank from this magic cup, however, died instantly. The good saint went to the well and asked for a drink from the woman, but on receiving the magic cup from her, he promptly smashed it against a stone. This well has been known as St. Patrick's Well ever since. Why no one else thought to stop her reign of terror in this manner before hundreds died is unclear, but there you go. Now... It will come as no surprise that the veneration of springs and wells is not a custom specific to the island of Ireland. Similar spaces can be found close by in Great Britain and feature in the lore of Scottish, Welsh, Cornish and English traditions. They bear much of the same tone and content of material found in Irish lore while also displaying, as is the tendency in all aspects of folk tradition, their own local and regional variations and adaptations. William George Black, in the 1884 article Holy Wells in Scotland, explains how on the island of Bute in Scotland, attributed to St. Malingus, was contained a cave about 25 feet above the present level of the sea. A shelf of rock within it, called the Saint's Bed, a large flat stone near it, called his Table, and his Well, celebrated for its healing virtues. Similarly, 
black notes that in the parish of Glass, Aberdeenshire, in the northeast of Scotland, a bath with curative properties attributed to St. Wallach was cut into the depth of a rock nearly four feet and supplied with water by a small spring which flows into it. The well was annually resorted to until a very recent date on the saint's day for the cure of diseased eyes and weakly children dipped in the bath were believed to be restored to vigour. No doubt they were. The above instances, while of note in their similarity to the Irish material, are marked by their being of some antiquity, having been documented in the 19th century. Traditional observances regarding such sites on our sister island, then, would seem to have diminished, not currently being practised to the same scale or degree as one would see, for example, at Macdara's Island in County Galway, St Bridgetswell or Dauchbride in County Clare, or the host of less robustly attended, though attended nonetheless, holy wells that dot this country over. That said, comparisonly recent offerings were found at a well attributed to St. Trillo in northern Wales in the mid-1990s in what seemed to have been a sudden and spontaneous religious practice that sprang up in a hitherto neglected and little visited site, as was noted by Tristan Gray Hulse in volume 106 of the Journal of Folklore in his article, A Modern Votive Deposit at a North Welsh Holy Well. A 1945 study on holy wells in England noted traditions both, quote, living and obsolete from some 600 holy wells in all parts of that country. Though again, it would seem practices concerning them have greatly deteriorated. Similarly to the Welsh and Scottish material, however, England's holy wells were associated with curative properties and understood to be under the protection of a particular saint. Similar springs and wells have been documented all over Europe, and while fitting into the same broad framework of European tradition and custom, it would seem in many instances that active communal observances at these sites slid into anachronistic states of decline long ago. While the above scant details certainly place the material concerning holy wells in Ireland in a wider contextual frame, indicative of a broader European tradition, it also brings into sharp relief their peculiarity and uniqueness in the Irish context as spaces of living tradition in the modern age. So, to conclude and to reflect on this short pilgrimage we have taken, holy wells are a curious intersection. There are ritual points in the natural landscape at which are venerated the life-giving waters that sustain us and which are placed offerings of adoration, of hope and faith in the face of weakness and illness. The individual finds rest in the communal here and with recourse to prayer, with recourse to symbolic action and with further recourse to occasions of uh, drinking and fighting, the specific concerns of the community are woven as a thread forming part of a broader whole. Features peculiar to the landscape of these sites are navigated through language and narratives which, though specific to the locality, are communally known and understood. These spaces have their own fallow periods when they are left quiet, being attended sparingly by lone pilgrims. Likewise, there have their fecund seasons when the entire community makes its march to them in jubilation. It would seem, therefore, that while standing as part of a much wider European context, holy wells and the practices pertaining to them in Ireland are remarkable by their being a pertinent expression of the dynamic force of tradition. Through those who still visit them to make their rounds run the endless, unbroken line of living waters long dried up elsewhere. As a final refrain, I'll shoehorn in a piece here from my good friend, the Mad King Sweeney, whose exploits are told in the 12th century Bulla Sidna, a firm favourite of mine, which foretells the struggles of a pagan king who, cursed by a monk, flees to nature, where he composes poetry regarding a sorry plight, and he flies across Ireland and bounds from treetop to treetop, stopping only to drink or eat watercress from Tuberling Elt, the well of the mad. 
Here, Siddhartha talks on his love of nature and how dearly he treasured the water of that well. Siddhartha There was a time when I deemed more melodious than the quiet converse of people, the cooing of the turtle dove flitting about a pool. There was a time when I deemed more melodious than the sound of a little bell beside me, the warbling of the blackbird to the mountain, and the belling of the stag in a storm. There was a time when I deemed more melodious than the voice of a beautiful woman beside me, to hear at dawn the cry of a mountain grouse. There was a time when I deemed more melodious the yelping of the wolves than the voice of a cleric within, bang and bleeding. Though goodly you deem in taverns your ale feasts with honour, I would prefer to drink a quaff of water in theft from the palm of my hand out of a well. Behold, Sivnan, he whose tomb this is at yonder well, the madman's well is its name, for often he would eat of its watercress and drink its water, and so the well is named after him. Well, listeners, dear indeed are these sacred wells and springs. In the background you'll hear a wonderful piece of music by Richard Moult titled, titled The Five Daughters. More of Richard's art and music can be found on his site starreddesert.com. That's starred-desert. See the description on our SoundCloud page for links to Richard's site, along with links to other sites and readings of interest specific to this episode. I want to send my heartfelt thanks to uh, Rosaline Durkin and to Eddie O'Neill for their Um, sharing their time and knowledge so kindly with me and I thank you too for listening. Until next time, Sláin Beo.